In today's show, we're talking NBA draft with Raphael Barlow of the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to BirdDogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. When you enter the promo code LockedOnNBA, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. We're going to be talking with Raphael Barlow. Derek Lively is uh, in the plans for us to talk about today. We're going to talk Jet Howard as well. Drew Timmy, Ryan Rupert, and Reese Beekman are the five players we're going to talk about. So we might as well get Raph in and we'll talk about it right now. All right, let's let's uh, let's bring him straight in. Raphael Barlow back again for the, I don't know, fourth, fifth year in a row. Here to talk about the NBA draft. Welcome back. Glad to be on, man. You know, you, you're the one that got my locked on career started, so I always got to make time for you. And now you've uh, now you've taken it. You've taken it from Chad Ford. You're running with locked on NBA big board. You're going on to bigger and better things. You're hosting scouting combines. You're doing so many different things, Raf. So you are right embedded in the NBA scouting um, community. You're just back from the draft combine, I believe. Yep, yep. Just got back. Spent the week out in Chicago. It's always a good experience there. So you're not only seeing the players and, and going through all their things, but you are talking with agents and scouts and a whole bunch of other people to get that inside information. So what I want to ask you, and why I'm starting all these shows, is by asking you what you would do, the top five picks. We know where they sit. We know we've got San Antonio, we've got Charlotte, we've got Portland, Houston, and Detroit. What would you do, one through five there? Just quickly run through that top five. I, San Antonio, let me think here. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I go with Wimbayama for two. Charlotte, I'd go Brandon Miller, three, Portland, Scoot Henderson, Amon Thompson, four, to Houston. And at five, I, I'd say Cam Whitmore. Interesting. So I think out of it, I think I've had five or six draft people on so far, and you're the only one who said you would take Brandon Miller at two. Everyone else has said Scoot there. The number five pick is sort of all up in the air, and Armin Thompson's going at four with everyone, basically. So interesting to get a little bit of diversity there on the Brandon Miller at number two, which it does feel, and was the vibe from that you got from the combine that that is the direction that Charlotte's probably going? Yeah, it sounds like it, but I've had, I've been talking about Brandon Miller at number two since January. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, that is true. <laughs> and at the time, it sounded crazy. Like I, I took a lot of flack for for that, but um, no, I just think that he offers positional versatility. He can play the three, maybe some four in closing lineups when teams go small. He can play the two. I think just he has more versatility, and he is ready to come in and contribute as a shooter. We're talking about a guy that. For the most part, if he didn't have that historically bad NCAA tournament, he's shooting 40% from three on seven attempts per game. And 
you know, I'm just not going with the consensus there. No, I you, you have been on him at number two for a very, very long time. Uh, I remember saying that I'm probably around January even that you were saying that and there was very much yeah. no one saying that, which, yeah, the direction that a lot of people are going at the moment is Brandon Miller at two. I still, I'm not there with it, but hey, that's fine. We'll see how that all pans out over the next few years. But what we are here to talk about is a player that you are a little bit higher on than consensus. So let's do it. And I'm... I'm really interested in talking about this player. That's Derek Lively from Duke because when I do all my fantasy translations for Dynasty Leagues, I did them all and you know, sitting there at number five, or I think it was number five or six, is Derek Lively. I go, well, hang on. What are we doing here? Like this guy has jumped way up and it was very reminiscent, not exactly the same because Walker Kessler's numbers were more insane last season, but Walker Kessler jumped out as like the number three fantasy rookie when I did those translations last season. I went, oh, is this actually real? Can this guy play? Because these numbers are insane. And yeah, it turns out, he could play. And now we've got a similar situation developing with Derek Lively. He's a seven-foot center from Duke. He's just turned 19. I've got that draft range from a whole bunch of mock drafts that I did where he's got 10 to 25. Is that 10 you? Are you have you got him at 10? No, I don't have him at 10, but I would I would take him at 10. Uh, if, if, if I did a draft based off of how I would do it, mm. I would have him at 10. But I'm also trying to factor in what's probably realistic and, and so on. But no, I, I would take him at 10 from Dallas. So the number one thing that stands out to me about Lively, obviously, yeah, 4.2 blocks per 36 is a crazy number. We know that he's a really good rim protector, but 11% usage, like the guy doesn't do anything offensively. There's no, He doesn't take any shots. Now, is this a factor of the team? Is it Duke? Is it him being a just a low usage guy who just does everything else? Because... We see centers who turn into low-usage players in the NBA who have had bigger numbers in college and have been able to do a little bit more, but that, that's a that's a comically low number, or under 12% usage. So what does that mean for his offensive game and how that might limit his overall impact? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with just college basketball. The spacing isn't there. In the NBA, I see him as a, a role man, a vertical lob threat. And in college basketball, you, how often do you see teams run pick and rolls with their with their center? So the, the low usage, it doesn't concern me, but I get why other people would be a little turned off by it. I mean, how often do you have a guy that averages like three points per game mm. that is people are talking about possibly being a lottery pick? But I think like Dallas, for example, if he goes to Dallas, he has his, his point guard or his playmaker in Luka Doncic. And the floor is spread because Dallas has shooters. And his role is to run the floor, set screens, catch lobs, block shots, and rebound. And I think he can do that. And what I like about Lively is we're talking about a guy that was very impactful on the defensive end this year without getting touches. Now, you know, back in the day, they always said if you reward the big man, he'll play defense, he'll rebound. So he was doing all this, making great effort defensively, knowing that he wasn't going to get the ball. There were times where he would set a screen and he wasn't even rolling to the rim. Now, part of that is his fault. He should still roll, but I just think that he knew he wasn't getting the ball. And so I think if you even, like I said, have a guy like Luca that can reward him, then I think that cranks up the defensive intensity even more. Yeah, that's the the uh, Memorial Hassan Whiteside post-up to start the game, like give him the ball and then hopefully he you know, decides he wants to play for the rest of the game on the defensive end, which is such a common thing amongst, amongst big men. Now, again, the, the thing that's standing out there is 4.2 blocks per 36. We saw you know, Walker Kessler's numbers insane last season. Like where does Lively fit as a uh, as a shot blocker? He's obviously got the size. 
Like they are, they are strong numbers. They're some of the best numbers we've seen come out recently. Is he a guy that can translate that straight across into the NBA? Do you think he can be an impactful rim, uh, impactful rim protector, but also rim deterrent? Yeah, I think so. And I think he's probably a little bit more mobile and coordinated and agile, can defend out on in space and on the perimeter better than Walker Kessler. I always have to slow down because I want to call him Kessler Walker. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely think that Lively can be a little bit more effective in space. Maybe not as great. I mean, I, as a, as a rim protector, but if he's a little bit less as a rim protector, but better in space, then I think it's a win. Yeah, that's was that's going to be my next question. Like, what happens if he gets switched out into the perimeter? Like, is it is it, is he toast? Is there? You know, can you hold up for a few seconds? Because yeah, the, obviously the comparison there is going to be Rudy Gobert, a guy that protects the rim and sometimes gets in trouble in the playoffs, which I think is significantly overblown at times. But can hold up for two, three seconds out on the perimeter. But you know, not not a guy that's going to get like roasted completely out there. Like, so does Lively sort of? Can he do that? Can he hold up for a little bit? Is he got quick enough feet to do that? Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. The only concern is, and I've heard it from some people, is that does he have the the toughness of Walker Kessler? Like the physical tools are there, the length, the shot blocking, but if it's the little intangible of the, the grit and the toughness, and that's probably the biggest concern. But if he has that on top of the, the flashes of shooting, even though he didn't show that Duke, I was just in Chicago and um, – he was I, was, I had a chance to watch him work out a few times and it wasn't like I was invited. It's just clutch came in really, really late and had their guys work out. Yep. And I was still in the arena uploading videos for the podcast because they had great Wi-Fi. And I just had a chance to watch him work out at least four times. And he's a, a, a solid shooter. I mean, he was knocking down corner threes and, and, and from the slots. And I think that Obviously, he's a much better shooter than the two for 13 from three indicates, but I think there is potential for him to be a stretch pick-and-pop guy. Well, that was going to bring me to the next question because he came in as, like, you know, according to some services, the number one recruit coming out of high school. Yep. ESPN 100, he was number one, and that can't be just because he you know, could do some dunks and block some shots. It's got to be something else to his game. So did he flash some more of that stuff through AAU and, and youth circuits and things like that like with more offensive game? Yeah, he took, I want to say, like in the Nike EYBL, Latter of the summer before he took 38 threes. I forgot what he made, but it was it was a respectable amount. I mean, it wasn't like 40%, but it was a respectable amount. And he did show some flashes of, of shooting touch. Actually, coming into the season, my concern for him was, was he going to be one of these guys that settles mm. for too many threes? Because I didn't think he was the most um, physically dominating guy. I thought he did have a, a tendency to kind of float out a little bit and, and not necessarily post up so I thought he was just going to settle for a lot of threes and he ended up just not settling for any shots unless just, it was just a wide open duck just never never taken him at all we're going to get to a guy that you're a little bit lower on in a second but today's episode is brought to you by bird dogs I'm actually wearing my bird dog shorts at the moment they came for me yesterday which I was pretty excited for and they're, they're very very comfortable got a pair of uh, gray ones here with a like an aqua lining. I'm not going to do like, I'm not giving away leg content for free. You can have to subscribe to my other channels to see that. But these Bird Dog shorts are supremely comfortable. They are stretchy fabric. They feel great. They're comfortable. They've got the inner liner in them as well. So you can work out in them. And if you wanted to go out and you're going to the, the shops to hang out with friends, like this, they don't look out of place. They look like smart casual shorts, but also workout gear. Raph, have you got, you got yours, Bird Dogs? 
Uh, I just got back. I haven't checked the mail, so they'll be coming, mate. They're in there. They'll, they'll be coming. They'll be coming soon. Really, really enjoy these. The, the couple of pairs that I got, um, love it. The two, the two colors. There's so many colors on their website styles, but they've got pants as well, and they're just the perfect thing to wear casually, but also transition if you need to go and do something else. Go to a bar. Go to have dinner. These will uh, work in so many different situations. And we've got that offer. I should have brought it up here. I've got the the tumbler they gave me. So if you go to birddogs.com/slash/lockedonnba and you use the code lockedonnba, they give you this Yeti style tumbler. And I was like, what's Yeti style time, but I got it. It's like an insulated coffee cup with a little plastic lid on it. So for traveling and, and taking drinks in the car. So you get one of those for free when you place your order. You're going to love the product. You're going to love the free gift as well. So go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA. Use the promo code locked on NBA and you're set. New shorts, new tumbler. What more could you want? Let's um, let's talk about a guy who I've spoken about on this show already, but the last guy that when we talked about him, I think it was the first draft show I did. The uh, guest that I had on, which was is completely escaping my mind. I apologize to whoever that was that came on first and was on my show talking about him. He was uh, it was Nathan Grubel from No Ceilings, and he was uh, he was higher on Jet Howard than the consensus. You, bang, bang. you are lower than Jet Howard, or lower on Jet Howard than the consensus, and that tends to be a little bit more where I sit. A guard out of Michigan, he's nineteen years of age, six eight, takes takes a lot of threes. Hits him at a pretty good rate. And my question um, when I talked with Nathan was, what else does he do? And do you have a similar concern? Like, he's hitting threes, but can you do something else? That's that's the concern. I don't think he does anything else. Um, um, Marquise Noel, the 5'8 guard for yep. Kansas State, averaged more rebounds than Jet Howard. Yeah, okay. That's, that's concerning. Mm. Jet Howard is 6'8", 215, great body. I think if he adds a little bit more as far as defensive intensity and rebounding, then I'd probably have him as a lottery pick. But like you said, I mean, if the shot's not falling, I don't know exactly what he brings to the table. He is someone that I think in a playoff series, I think like best case scenario, if if he projects to be this good offensive player, but he's someone that I see in a playoff series, he's a going to haunt him and if he's one of your top three guys now as a coach you have to decide all right is he playable is he unplayable because i just think he's that much of a liability on the defensive end obviously right now but i just don't see any type of defensive effort or just intangibles in his game outside of scoring it's all about those rebound numbers three rebounds per 36 is really low half a steal per 36 minutes is, is insane that is such a low number i i it's it's so rare to see like yeah, you know, even if you get like one steal per thirty six, you go that's that's actually pretty low. Like you can't even luck into to deflecting like one ball every two games or so. Like you can't even get into that. Like that that is a concerningly low number where you're not rebounding, you're not passing, you're not stealing, you're not protecting the rim. You are you're not getting a ton of free throw attempts. You're shooting threes. Do you think that there is a part of the Jet Howard? Not even story, but the you know people are saying, well, he might be picked at four. I had someone in one of my YouTube comments, and that's not the you know, be-all and end-all of people's evaluation, said, man, if uh, Orlando at six, I'd pick him there. Okay, okay, settle down, first of all. But secondly, is it because of who his dad is that that gives him uh, randomly like as a 10-spot bump because, oh, I, I know I know his dad, Juwan Howard. Okay, he was, he was great. So Jet gives an extra boost. And if he wasn't Juwan Howard's son, that he wouldn't be even considered for the first round? No, I don't think it plays a part in it because, I mean, he wasn't even a top 50 recruit coming okay. in. So he didn't get the bump up in high school recruiting, which, you know, usually that, that can be a factor. I, I do think he has all the skills and the talent to be 
a a lottery pick on the offensive end. I'm personally not a per 36 guy. And so it's even worse to me when you even try to inflate the numbers with per 36 and they still <laughs> don't add up at, up to much. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think if there is a team that is more so drafting for fit as opposed to best player available, I think he's the best player available. But I, I can't see a team drafting him high if it's a team that really needs some outside shooting. And maybe they say, well, it's easier to turn him into a, you know, projectable, reliable defensive player than it is to turn him into a, a sniper. So, again, I could see him going in, in the lottery. And, and maybe Orlando, I don't know if they take him at 11. I think that's that's pretty high, but he does have some ties to Florida. Um, went to um, IMG, and I'm pretty sure they've, they've scouted him heavily. I mean, this is a team that took Caleb Houston, another yep. Michigan guy, who well, he went to my verb, but they – basically had him shut down and gave him a guarantee. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Orlando does like him. Six is definitely high, but again, if, if he goes to the right situation, a team that has strong defenders around him, then, then maybe, you know, it, it's it's a fit. But if not, I don't know. Um, when we look at yeah, this draft, there is there are a lot of good shooters, right? So we compare him to you know, Jordan Hawkins, you compare him to Grady Dick, you compare him to even like, you know, there's plenty of these combo guard type guys, not that he's a combo guard, but these guards are Keontae George in that mix around the, the, the late lottery as well. Yeah, in terms of shooting versus, I think a lot of people would consider Hawkins and Dick to be right up the top in terms of shooting capabilities in this class. Like where does Howard fit compared to those? I mean, I think you can throw Bryce Sensible in, oh, yeah, that's the other one, in yep. that mix, too. I, I think his percentage was even higher. Yeah, he shot 43, I think, uh, Bryce did. Yeah. Yep. Now, I, I will say the degree of difficulty on Hawkins' shots was a little bit – his shots were more difficult than the others because he's shooting on the move, shooting off screens, and he has a little bit more versatility. But I, I would say Howard is probably – I mean, I guess I could say he's in the top five to seven as far as just shooters. I mean, I think there's some some other guys that, that are capable shooters. Um, just I think Maxwell Lewis is in that range. I think, um, like I said, Simpson Ball. I'm missing somebody else. Yeah, there's a little somebody. bit smaller. Uh, look. Marcus Sasser, he's smaller. Uh, I think he's a, a pretty good shooter. Uh, I mean, even a guy like... Derek Whitehead. Derek yeah, Derek Whitehead shot 43%, yeah. which was a surprise to me. Um, even a guy like Traquavion Smith, the percentages don't show it, but off the catch, he was pretty good. He was, I mean, pretty much just up there with the same guys, but he just took a, a, a ridiculous amount of three-pointers off the dribble, and that, that affected his percentage. But I think if he was in a role where he was just shooting catch-and-shoot jumpers, then I think he would also be someone that you could say is one of the top five to ten shooters in this class. We'll get back with a bunch of other players, including a, uh, a well-known college player and a potential first-round player that did play down here in Australia. But before we do that, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. In fact, tomorrow's game has the Heat favored over the Celtics for the first time this series. The Celtics were favored in all three games, and of course, they've had their ass kicked in all three of those games, but now they sit the Heat as a one-and-a-half-point favorites. Raf, do you think that Boston just gives up and the Heat get the sweep done? 
it's over. <laughs> it's it is, it is over. But <laughs> can 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 they get something back? Can they do something in the Celtics and get this one game back, or are they just uh, they're just ready to pack it in? I think they packed it in second half of of game three so i think it's i think they're done we're going to be watching that one with uh very big intrigue and you can bet all of the action for that over at fanjul so go to fanjul.com slash locked on get your no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars that's fanjul.com slash locked on fanjul is the official sports betting partner of the nba all right let's go let's come down here to australia because rayan repair played for the New Zealand Breakers in the NBL. He is, he's not even 19. He'll be 19 really soon. He's a 6'6 wing as so many players are. He's been mocked most times in the 20s. I've seen him as high as 16 in drafts. His shooting numbers are bad. 31% from three down here. 48% true shooting. 37% overall. One and a half steals per 36 is nice. 20 usage is okay. There are a lot of players that come down to Australia and struggle with their shooting. Usman Jeng was horrible last season. Lamelo Ball shot 25% from three shooting down here playing for Illawarra. It's not uncommon for 18-year-olds to really struggle with their shot. Josh Giddy obviously struggled with his shot down here, but you know, he's improved over the two seasons in the NBA. So, Repair is a French player, obviously playing down in the Australian League. For New Zealand had yeah, two French guys last season in Jeng and Hugo Besson as well. So I guess there's some sort of yeah, French to New Zealand pathway potentially going on I'll there. The same, I, was about, I was about to say two of the two of the three guys have the same agent, but there is a French connection there. Interesting. So all, New Zealand's got a bunch of NBA players in their ownership group. I think. I think is it Sean Marion that's in that one? There's a bunch of them. I can't remember. Uh, um, Matt Walsh that used to play at the University of Florida. Okay. I think I think he's in in the ownership group. But yes, there 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 is a, a connection there. Yeah. Sure. So repairs down here. Like he played. Yeah. You know, look, that's they're okay numbers as an 18 year old in a professional league. You have. You know, we've seen a few players coming out of Australia. So you look at those numbers. They look bad. But is that a level of concern for you? That shooting, or are you just like, well, you know, you were able to get some minutes on the court in this league. Who is they're not there solely to develop you. Um, and, and getting some playing time is encouraging, I think. Yeah, and, and Ryan is, is training and working out here in Dallas. I've had a chance to be around him often. I've probably been to maybe 20 of his workouts. He's working out twice a day. I've done some video stuff with him. So I probably have a little bit more insight than, than the average person. But the to put things into context is he did miss two months of the season with a broken it was either broken hand or broken wrist. Yep. So I think that has an impact on his shooting. And he told me it didn't. I don't want to call him a liar, but he, he didn't want to make any excuses, in, in my opinion. But I, I don't care who you are. If you miss that much time with a you know, broken wrist or hand or whatever, I think it is going to have an impact on your shooting. But you know, props to him for not looking to use it as an excuse. I think most people would have. And something that he mentioned to me was – even though he was, you know, he's he's been boxed in or labeled as this three and D defender. He was saying that that's not a role that he's ever played. But in Australia, it's his first year playing professional basketball. He was on a good team. I think they went to the finals, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's true. Yep. Yeah, they went to the finals. So he had some, some, some good players around him. So he, in order for him to, I guess, get on the court, he had to settle into this role as the three and D guy. But he wasn't known as a three-point shooter coming in. And, and he, um, you know, obviously he struggled with, with shooting. And he told me he was more so of like a, a, a point 
guard or played some two and when he was back in France. So this was a totally different role for him. And not only was it just a, a different role, it was a different country. We're talking about an 18-year-old that was in a new country all by himself. He didn't know the language. And I thought considering all those factors, um, I, I thought he, he played pretty well. But the, the skill set that he has or, or what he's going to hang his hat on is his defensive versatility with his crazy long wingspan. I think he measured out like seven two and a half or seven three wingspan wingspan. And I think right now teams are going to or teams are interested in him because of his defensive versatility and upside and they'll figure out the offense later on. I'm just looking at the roster for New Zealand. So there was uh, Jarrell Brantley who played a little bit with the Jazz um was on that team. And uh, William McDowell-White, who probably should have had a crack at some point in the NBA and might actually end up going over there. I think it's a pretty... Uh, he might have... He, I think he won some sort of award over here. But he might have even been in the discussion close to the MVP. But William McDowell-White, um, who's about 20 or 21 as well, who played uh, over in the US, probably at St. Mary's. If he's an Australian player in college, he probably played in St. Mary's. I can't remember exactly where he played <laughs> in college, but yeah. he was uh, he was over there. Um, so that was a relatively strong team, as I said. Went to the NBA finals. Let's talk about a guy who didn't have any problem with production because he put up insane numbers, and that is Drew Chimmy, the center from Gonzaga. He is going to be 23 in a few months' time. He's like a 6'9". Okay, some sites will list him as a power forward, but you know, cause he's only 6'9". He averaged 24 points per game, per 36. He averaged nine rebounds, almost four assists. He shot 62% uh, from the field, only 17% from three. 30% usage player. We've got huge exposure to him through the tournament, huge exposure to the fact that he's been playing, it feels like, for seven years at Gonzaga. We saw a mm-hmm. lot of him next last season next to Chet Holmgren, but the concern is, and the reason I want to talk about him is because he's a name that everyone knows, right? But is there are legitimate concerns about how any of this translates to the NBA? Yeah, and you know what's interesting is that Drew and Ryan work out in the same gym in Dallas, so okay. there are times where they are there together, or one is coming in, one is leaving. And I've known Drew since he was probably like in seventh or eighth grade. My brother coached him briefly, so I'm very familiar with what what he can do. I personally think. Drew doesn't pass he doesn't pass the eye test as far as like what teams are looking for in today's NBA as far as face the floor. But I think he's a guy that if you put nine other players on the floor and put some people in, in the crowd, some butts in the seats and turn the lights on, he is going to be effective. He's probably gonna to have to work his way up um, just because he, he just doesn't have the the physical tools that teams are necessarily looking for. But we're talking about a guy that's extremely skilled on the block, can finish with either hand, is a very good passer. Again, he may not be a rim protector. He may not be a, a, a great rebounder, but I think that he can come in and and be a guy that can provide some depth off the bench. And I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, maybe I'm unrealistic, but I'm hoping one day the NBA brings the post game back. So guys like Drew Tibby can actually have a, a role on a significant role on the team, but I, I'd say he probably best case scenario, late second round pick, maybe even a two way guy. But I also see him as someone that if he ends up in the G League, he's going to put up big numbers there. Okay, so the when I think about Drew Timmy, look, we yeah, we all saw what he did in college. We saw the run in the tournament up until the final game, you know, 36, 28, 21 of the three games um, leading up to that, the final game against UConn, but. I think of, and maybe this is just me being uneducated and taking the easy way out and comparing players, but a guy from uh, Iowa two years ago, Luca Gaza, who is a big 
white guy playing center. He's got a lot of fundamental stuff, a lot of footwork. Um, it's just really big, strong part of his game. Can score when he gets the chance, but there's a lot of other concerns. But yeah, put up huge numbers in college. In the NBA, has occasional little moments, but can't really sort of stick as a full-time rotation player. Is that the sort of path you think that Timmy is probably on? Possibly. And and the, the biggest difference between the two is I think Garza is obviously bigger, but Garza was a good three-point shooter. Yep. And so that is something that to showcase. Even though I've I've watched him play a lot and I've seen him like in, in workouts, he he's he's a he's not a bad shooter in workouts. I thought he he did good at his pro day last week, but yeah, Garza has the size advantage. I think Garza was a better rebounder and a better shooter. And then you see that he's kind of struggled to find time. But I think Garza is someone that can be in the NBA. I don't want to say as long as he wants to be, but I think he can be a guy that sticks around for five, six, seven years in the NBA. It's just up to him if he wants like a bigger role in Europe. Cause I think Garza would be like, I mean, a dynamic Euroleague type player. And I think Drew could end up having a similar situation. Do I fight as the 11, 12, I mean, even back end roster player, or do I try to go somewhere where I can have a significant role? But I think Drew can, make a roster of well, true Timmy came down here I reckon he'd have like his game would be perfect I think for the NBL as well just the guy that you know, bashes in inside is strong he's got that good footwork I think he'd, I think it'd be amazing if he came down and played in the NBL down here the last guy though I do want to talk about is a completely different end of the uh, the positional spectrum and that is Reese Beekman the point guard from Virginia 63s 21 um, 10 points per 36 is a phenomenally low number uh, 51% true shooting is obviously pretty poor. He hit 35% from three, but 40% overall from the field. Some nice assist numbers there, some good defensive things. Um, is this just like uh, the sort of a point guard where we look at it and say, okay, so as a third string point guard, you'd make a little bit of sense for some teams. You can step up into some roles. There's you know, some defensive steadiness there with what you do, but you know, in terms of ever elevating to something more, that's probably seems a little bit far-fetched. Yeah, I think so. But I think he can come in and be a a, a guy that – I mean, think of Jose Alvarado. Yep. I, I think he can play an Alvarado role. I mean, Alvarado played significant minutes for for the Pelicans as a rookie in the playoffs, and then he, he did last year. But I think Beekman is better at running a team and organizing the players around him than, than Alvarado. So I, I do think that there is a spot for him. And if I'm a team and I'm like, especially like a team that's considered a, a, a good team and I'm picking in the late second round, I think Beekman is a guy that I can have as my third point guard, emergency backup. And maybe even in the playoff series, you bring him in just to harass, you know, the other team's primary ball handler. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about like, you know, if you're Milwaukee and you, you add him and you got a playoff series next year against a Tyrese Maxey or somebody like that. I think Beekman is a guy that you can just bring in for some minutes and just play play good defense. So I would definitely take him in the second round. He is also about six inches taller than Jose Alvarado as well. So 6'3", that gives you yeah. that, that little bit of an advantage. There are plenty of those guards who put up these really big defensive numbers in college. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Like one of the numbers, well, none of the names that always stands out to me, those, you know, man, look at this guy. He's a terror defensively in college. as Aaron Kraft uh, a few years ago. Ohio State, it was always, you know, that, oh man, look at look at this defense, look at this hustle. And then, of course, you know, no chance of that ever working for him in the NBA. But Beekman's probably a little bit different uh, in that respect. The the shooting, 35% is, is not a bad number from DPC. He's not particularly confident in taking them, though, is he? 
Uh, I mean, it's hard to judge guys from Arizona. I'm sorry, not Arizona, Virginia. They play yeah, such true. a boring style of basketball <laughs> that you, you just never really know what a guy can do. I mean, it's a low pace. It's just boring. Yep. So he may have more offensive game than he's been able to showcase. And that's why their numbers aren't always like aren't always the best. And then, But you look at um, Hunter, he ended up, Nah, he's a solid player. I don't know if he would go well, along certain. He it doesn't go yeah. where he in a redraft. But um, but yeah, I mean, I just think that he probably has a little bit more than what he's able to what he, what he was able to showcase at Virginia. The Virginia system thing is an interesting point you bring up because one of the things that that I always used to look at evaluating the Virginia system in terms of the yeah, DeAndre Hunter coming out where he's a good defender, but his steals and blocks are really really low because of the system that they play, and I see. Beekman with these huge steel numbers. I go, oh, okay. So he's he just breaking that system, and he's maybe he's even better than this, or is that is that maybe a um, very basic way of looking at it? I actually think he just has really good hands. He's not like a gambler and getting steals. I mean, he just gets steals from, I mean, just picking up ball handlers like he did a few times at the combine. Just took the ball out of the ball handler's hands. Excellent anticipation. So I don't think that he's. Um, you know, a guy, like I said, that's gambling in the passing lanes and, and, and putting his team in bad positions when he doesn't get to steal. I just think he's just getting steals on ball. Like, he's stealing the ball from the man that he's defending. I asked uh, this question to your colleague, uh, Richard Stamen. Yes, yes, it was on my show yesterday, but it was like 20 minutes ago that I spoke to him, um, about the addition of the third two-way contract. Now, what have you heard about how that might change the approach of teams through the second round of the draft, because we always know that you know sometimes that last ten to fifteen picks of the second round is agents negotiating. Well, my guy won't sign us two way, so don't draft him here. Now that there's more, you know, an extra thirty two way contracts around, any idea how that might impact the way the second round goes? Um, yeah, so it's tough because I think if from the team standpoint, if there's a guy that still has some eligibility left. And I think if he goes back to school, he ends up being out of my range. Then I'm trying to throw a two-way offer to him. You know, hey, come forget going to school. Come here, develop in our system. Yes, you may play in the G League here and there, but it's better to develop in the NBA than in college. But on the other hand, I don't know if it really makes that much of a difference because the top, like, underclassmen are probably going to have big, huge NIL offers that may be just as much money as a two-way. Yep. So they may turn it down. So, I mean, there's a couple of names that, that come to mind. I'm probably not in position to say the names, but I have heard some guys that teams are saying, hey, you know, we don't have any picks right now, but we'll give you a two-way. But the guy may have a NIL deal and a car and, and housing at, at his particular school that is worth more. So the player's going to have to decide – do I want to go to school and play in college or do I want to develop as a pro? Um, so I, I do think the third two-way is probably a reaction to the NIL money because I think from an NBA team standpoint, you want as many guys in the pool as possible. You want a wide selection of guys to choose from. But if every star player has NIL money that's worth more than a two-way, then you're going to have a lot of guys deciding to go back to school. So um, it'll be interesting, but I think it's probably more beneficial for guys that don't have college eligibility left 
and it gives them an opportunity to to get a two way. But we'll we'll see. I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody after like maybe forty is going to get anything above a two way. So um, on one hand, it could be good, but then on the other hand, two ways aren't guaranteed. And you can lose your two way at any time. Yeah, teams cycle through them all the time. It's like, you know, yeah, I'll get like four two ways in over the course of the season. Now they have an extra slot uh, to be able to do that. So that is something we need to to watch out with that. Raph, thank you for coming on and chatting NBA Draft with me. Of course, you are hosting the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast and the Locked On NBA. You write the Locked On NBA Big Board um, newsletter as well over on Substack. So tell people what you've got uh, coming out on both those platforms. Yeah, man, you know, the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast is five days a week, so there's a lot of content there. I have a couple of interviews from prospects that are coming up. I, I did one today um, with Max Lewis, yep. so I did a sit-down interview with him. Tomorrow I have one with Dylan Jones, a guy that just kind of came out of nowhere, went to Weber State, and he was in the G League Combine. I think he's, uh, you know, someone that, We'll have to make a decision. I think he could either be a late second-round pick or a potential two-way guy, or he can go back to school. And then I have Tumani Kamara coming up yep. after that, a guy that had a really good year at, at Dayton. I think he really impressed some teams at the Combine, and he seems like a guy that has, his draft stock is, is going up. And so I have interviews with those two guys coming up, and then we'll just have you know, whatever the latest draft buzz is. And then on NBA Big Board, the newsletter – I'll be, you know, doing like different interviews, getting feedback from scouts and front office personnel about the latest, you know, the the latest news from the combine or how guys are interviewing and so on. So a lot of draft content. If you like the draft, then I got it all for you. Yeah, draft does have it all covered for you over there on both of those formats. Dylan Jones is actually someone who just came across my radar yesterday. I saw him jump into a mock draft that I that I was um, uh, reading up on. I went, oh, okay, I need to do a little bit of work on him. And Kamara had appeared in two extra mock drafts that I uh, analyzed yesterday as well. So a couple of interesting players I'm going to dig in a little bit deeper on with your content coming out over there, Raf. Thanks again for jumping on and, uh, and chatting about the NBA draft with me. Yep, anytime you want me on, let me know. We can make it happen. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And if you are here on YouTube, you thumb it up and you leave those comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Actually, we're not because I'm going to tell you what, what's my show tomorrow. I am doing the Golden State Warriors season review podcast tomorrow. And then we have more draft stuff coming the days after that with Tyler Metcalf from No Ceilings and Chuck from the Chucking Darts podcast, who were, I think both those guys were on last season as well. Now, we're done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.